Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 262, and today's guest is Dr. Iman Abu Zaid, co-founder and CEO of Incredible Health. Healthcare is the biggest labor market sector in the country, and the demand for healthcare workers continues to grow as the population is aging. The challenge is that the number of healthcare workers has certainly not kept up with the demand, as we are on track to be short of 1 million nurses by the end of next year. Well, any solid entrepreneur would hear that number and think of one word, and that is opportunity. However, when you combine two industries that can be very difficult to transform, that being healthcare and staffing, well, most entrepreneurs are probably going to run the other way. This was not the case for Iman and her co-founder, Rome Portlock, as they both come from families with lots of roots in the industry, and they've built their own careers very successfully with domain experience in healthcare. So this makes them uniquely qualified to flip this industry on its head and scale a massive company. Incredible Health's mission is to help healthcare professionals live better lives and find and do their best work. The company is backed by leading VC firms and was recognized by Forbes as a next billion dollar startup company. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like advice on perfecting your company's story and pitch deck when raising capital. Iman's background, including her experience in medical school and management consulting and how that helped build out the initial foundation for her career why she decided to join the tech industry as a product manager out of business school at Wharton and her path into entrepreneurship, all the details about incredible health from how the idea came to fruition to how the company is differentiating itself through the use of technology and other key benefits, the value and importance of focus and the emphasis on delivering user delight, advice for entrepreneurs who are building companies in the healthcare industry, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, it's hard to believe that we have over 250 episodes of the VentureFizz podcast. We have built up an amazing catalog of inspirational stories around building companies, and every episode includes lots of great advice to follow as well. If you haven't checked out past interviews, go to VentureFizz.com slash podcast for the complete list. Oh, and just one ask, please share the VentureFizz podcast with your friends and colleagues in the industry. I appreciate your support. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Iman. Iman, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because what you're building at Incredible Health is uh, it's solving a major crisis in our in our country. I mean, the shortage of nurses is something that is incredibly eye-opening, and I can't wait to hear how your company's solving this issue. But uh, one of the things when you raised uh, funding a couple of years ago, you wrote a very extensive blog post about that experience. And I thought one of the things that stood out as relates to that post was your advice on the pitch and the pitch deck when raising capital. It was was a little bit different from all the other things that I've read out there. So what advice would you have for entrepreneurs as it relates to those topics? Yeah. uh, So, you know, for fundraising, there's two components to it, right? The process and then the content. And I'd say, you know, 30% of the efforts in the process and 70% is in the actual content. Um, so I think what you're specifically asking about is like the content pieces, particularly because that's that's the pitch. Um, there's a few, uh, I guess, considerations there. Um, first is the narrative and your story matters a lot. And uh, probably the biggest, the most important piece of feedback I give to founders and CEOs when I am reviewing their pitch is uh, you need to be more ambitious frankly, you know, like at the end of the day, if you're asking for venture dollars, 
those investors are expecting venture returns. So at the early stage, we're talking about whatever, 20x, 50x, 100x on their money. Um, and then even at the growth stage, they still want three, four, five x uh, on, on, on their money. So um, pitching big is probably the biggest piece of advice or tip that I have. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example just from Incredible Health, you know, saying that, uh, starting off with saying, hey, you know, my name is Iman, this is my background, you know, Incredible Health is the category defining market leading company in healthcare labor. Uh, and our, and, you know, our mission and our vision is to help healthcare professionals live better lives. You know, like just starting there is like, okay, this is an ambitious founder. This is an ambitious CEO. <laughs> right. um, and then you can go into the details after that. Right. But really just like setting the tone that you're trying to build something very big. You're trying to become a market leader. Or you're defining a new category is, 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 is critical. Um, I think the second area that, um, I probably give a lot of feedback on is just the product section. So a, a lot of people get, you know, so you, you do this big, you know, vision, mission, pit, you know, ambition in the beginning, you know, you're going to, you know, very clearly explain what the market is, what the problems your users have in that market, ideally backed up with numbers whenever possible. Because um, numbers make things more real, right? So you don't just say, hey, nurses have a problem. You have to say, you know, nurses have a problem and it's quantified in this way, right? Or you don't just say, hey, hospital executives have, have challenges. You say, you know, hospitals run on low margins, <laughs> uh, which are 3% or less. When they are understaffed, they're spending on labor or on temporary labor, which is three times more expensive. You know, by adding numbers in, it's just like a little more credible, like shows that you did your homework. But now, now in terms of the product section, you know, like this is the section where you're like, okay, I've explained the market, I've explained the problems, like, here we are, we're like the knight in shining armor, right? That's gonna fix, that's gonna fix this problem. Product sections in particular tend to be quite weak. And it is very important that if you are working on a technology company that you are pitching key concepts and product, right? So um, what are there specific algorithms that you're building? Is there something unique in terms of the model that you switched around? Is there, um, some kind of um, software that keeps your users locked in? Is there some kind of network effects? Like these are the key product concepts that have to be explained. And, you know, ideally it's like one slide per concept. Um, what's not okay is to say, hey, you know, we developed a, a product and by the way, it has just like a nicer UI user experience. Like this is not enough, right? Like that's just like, and some fancy screens, well-designed screens is absolutely not enough to differentiate yourself and to, position yourself as a market leader, frankly. And um, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, just a few, a few, few thoughts just on the actual pitch itself. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, cause you know, when I was researching more information about incredible health, you know, you're not the first company to help solve this issue, but what I picked up very quickly was how you're going about it, which is the product slides, right? Of what you're doing that's incredibly different than any other idea that I've heard about. So we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up or were you like as a child? Okay, so I, I'm i originally from Sudan. That's where my, where my parents are from. Um, so they are immigrants. I am, I am an immigrant as well. Um, I was, I grew up in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I've also lived in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. And I lived many years in London, England and, uh, moved to New York city when I was 24 years old. So, uh, I am someone who's lived, lived in many different places before immigrating to the U S. Um, 
And, you know, those were like obviously very formative years for me and influenced uh, a lot of, you know, they're just part of the journey in terms of which ends in, which it was just currently in like running incredible health. Right. Um, Both my grandfathers were entrepreneurs um, in, in Sudan. And so they were sort of inspiring figures for me in terms of just, I think I have an opinion that uh, entrepreneurship is like the epitome of what you can do in a business career. Um, it's just an opinion. I'm not, I wouldn't impose it on anyone. It's just like my personal thoughts. <laughs> um, another uh, sort of key influence is, you know, my father's a surgeon. My two of my older brothers are surgeons. My younger sister's a, a, a UI UX designer, and my younger brother is a product manager. And um, just the atmosphere I grew up in was just like excellence you know like drive towards excellence and like our parents like really drilled that into us like whatever you're doing whatever you choose to do make sure you're just very very good at it and constantly perfecting your craft and getting better um and so there's like there's sort of like a trend of ambition <laughs> that you see not just with me but with my siblings as well um and then the third piece I just want to say just about like growing up is just the desire to move to the United States. I mean, I think uh, the U.S. is the best country in the world, in my opinion. I mean, sure, it has issues, but um, as far as what I wanted to do, which is pursue entrepreneurship and build um, category defining market leading businesses and things like that, it's it's really is the best environment for that. I mean, for so many reasons, Um, the uh, capital and the appetite for risk from the investor class here is amazing and does not it's not at this level and at other in other countries the um ease in which to do business here uh the fact that i can we can sign you know two-page contracts (laughs) with giant health systems and get going um is amazing and i don't i it, it is not that easy to do business in other uh parts of the world um the ease of just setting up the business in the first place it's like, you know, you can do it in five minutes online, <laughs> register a company and just be ready, be good to go. Um, just, it's just phenomenal. And then most importantly is the talent, the talent that you get to work with. I mean, I'm working with world-class software engineers, designers, data scientists, um, sales leaders, customer success leaders, operations leaders, so on, who've, um, who've trained and went to many of the best schools and more importantly they trained at some of the best companies that were also high growth companies and so i incredible health gets to take advantage of that extensive experience that they have um that they built at other companies and um just the talent here is just phenomenal so yeah i thought the foundation of your journey into entrepreneurship was interesting because you went to medical school and you are a doctor right so 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 did was it entrepreneurship, the path you always were considering versus being a practicing physician or a surgeon or whatever the case may be? Yeah. So I did go to medical school um, and I, I did uh, graduate from medical school. I think during, towards the end of my time at medical school, I was starting to realize that I wanted to make an impact or have uh, impact on a larger scale. And look, don't get me wrong, like one-on-one patient care, it's amazing. It's needed. I mean, we, we need as many clinicians as we can in this country, whether they're doctors or nurses or pharmacists or physical therapists or whoever, we just simply don't have enough. Um, so it, that's still a phenomenal career to pursue. Uh, but for me personally, I wanted to have an, an impact sort of on a larger scale. And so then the question was like, how, like, how do I, how do I do that? And so the journey I followed was 
you know, after medical school, deciding not to do residency. And I went into management consulting next. This is like what, what drove the move to New York City, right? And worked, at, worked in uh, management consulting firms like Booz Allen and at uh, McKinsey. And that's really where I got exposed to hospital operations and hospital strategy. Um, and then the, the decision to go to business school at Wharton and do my MBA there um, also was just a, a, a desire to continue to expand my skills and expand my education in order to drive larger scale, right? And so business school was a formative time for me as well, where I got exposed to more entrepreneurs, where I learned key things like key content, like finance, accounting, um, marketing operations, um, and then got uh, very exposed to both entrepreneurship and to healthcare as well. And then after that was like the desire to move to the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, which at the time is like now, this is now 2013, like in 2013, like if you wanted to be in entrepreneurship and technology, like the SF Bay Area was the place to be. It may, it may, that may not be the case anymore in now 2022, but um, at the time it certainly was. And so that drove the move to the San Francisco Bay Area and, and a desire to join an early stage um, healthcare technology company. Because frankly, like I didn't know much about software or about entrepreneurship at that stage of my career. And uh, I joined an early stage healthcare technology company as a product manager. And that's really where I learned to work with software engineers and designers and data scientists and what it takes to launch products and get them adopted and grow a business. Um, and so that was really like a sort of a learning incubation <laughs> time for me as well. It is also where I met my co-founder, um, Rome Portlock. Uh, Rome Portlock is a software engineer, went to MIT. He's been building software for over 15 years. Um, and we worked together at that company as employees. Um, I was doing product and he was doing engineering and um, got to build a very strong working relationship there before leaving to start Incredible Health. Um, and so those were, it, you know, there's, I, I believe there's like so many paths to entrepreneurship. There's like a thousand different ways to do it. That happens to be like my, what my path was. Um, but the common theme was like a desire to have an impact and to do things at scale. Um, and the desire to, you know, healthcare is also a common theme throughout like every single stage as well. Um, and so it was just, it was just a matter of just like continuing to add to my skills and to my experience and to my learning in order to be set up to do that. And I mean, I always, I'm always fascinated by someone's journey into product management too, because there's no one that graduates from college or B school with any type of functional discipline of product management training. It's something that's usually learned as a skill set. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, best back to your strategy consulting experience um, and what you were exposed to there that set you up for that domain experience and obviously learning how to write, you know, user requirement documents and different things that makes the actual skill set possible. Uh, now, before you started Incredible Health, you and your co-founder, Rome, actually you started a company before that, right? Yeah, that's right. So what was uh, that? Yeah. So we, Rome and I initially worked on a different company, different idea altogether. And it was uh, a product that helped small and medium business owners in healthcare. So think chiropractors, physical therapists uh, that are running their own business. It helped them retain their clients. And, you know, this, this product was live, you know, we we're making, it was, there was some revenue coming through, but we just could not get it to grow. And, and we worked on it for about 11 months and really like there were some really big lessons learned there. <laughs> so first is just like, the, first, the biggest lesson is just the importance of ideation. Like it is very important for founders and entrepreneurs to assess their ideas before they start executing. And um, we didn't do that. We skipped a lot of those steps and discovered after the fact that, hey, actually this user group 
client retention is great, but what they really care about is uh, customer acquisition. Um, and that's just the bread and butter of many small business owners, small and medium business owners. And uh, our product didn't address their biggest problem. Um, and, and, you know, other learnings like that. So, you know, when, when we decided to, it, we couldn't get it to grow. So we decided, hey, like we need to make a change here, you know, with, with the quote unquote pivot, right? And after that, then we embarked on a much more thorough ideation process. And I think it's just so important for entrepreneurs to do that because it, it, it's like a, the analogy is like a ship leaving the harbor, right? Like when your ship is leaving the harbor, you want to make sure it's pointed in the right direction or else you're going to end up someplace very random or someplace where you don't want to be. And at the end of the day, you know, you want a business that works, that helps users, that, that has an impact. And, um, you know, so we went through a very robust like framework and analysis around um, the three key areas. One, um, ensuring that we have like we, we came up with a hundred different ideas. So, so then after that, you assess the ideas across a few a few different uh, dimensions. First is um, how big is the market? Um, you know, how how big could this get? Ideally, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar market. And therefore, if you only get 1% of it, you're still fine, right? Um, another uh, dimension is competition. Like how much competition is there already? Is it, is it like, you know, business intelligence software where there's like hundreds and hundreds of companies already there or CRM software? Um, or is it, a, is it a market that only has, you know, a few startups, a few big companies, you know, and therefore it's like easier, frankly, to differentiate. And then the third area is unique insight. Like, what have you come up with that is at least 10 times better than what's already out there? Um, and so when we put our 100 ideas through these three filters, I mean, like 90 of the 100 fell out. <laughs> you know, they didn't pass the criteria or we couldn't come up with a unique insight or whatever it was, right? And then once, you know, once we narrowed it down, then you can go deeper on customer research, market research, so on. Um, and so like, yeah, it's an, it's a very intense process and it took up an enormous amount of our time, uh, but it's worth it because you want to make sure you're pointed in the right direction. Now, specifically the idea for incredible health. I mean, a lot of my, the reason it was even on the list of ideas we were assessing is a lot of my family members and friends are doctors and surgeons, and they were often complaining about understaffing. Um, and then at the same time, Rome like has many family members that are nurses and they were saying, hey, I'm experienced, I'm qualified. I apply to 10 places or 15 places. I don't even hear back. And we were like, okay, this doesn't make any sense, right? Because healthcare is the biggest labor sector in the country by number of workers. It's the most dollars spent on the workers too uh, in, in the US. And um, we know that there's massive shortages, right? Like our demand for healthcare as a country keeps increasing because our population is aging. But um, the, the supply of workers does not keep up with the demand. Like just to put it in context, like, the nursing shortage is three times bigger than the software engineering shortage. Like we're on track to be 1 million nurses short by the end of next year. 1 million. <laughs> yeah. Like we are missing 1 million nurses that we need. Oh man. <laughs> um, and so these are like, the, these are the, mo the, the biggest labor shortages we have in the country. And so it's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody should be hired like very rapidly and quickly and efficiently and so on. And once we dug into it, we realized like the processes, the tools, the technology that's being used for hiring, permanent hiring in particular, you know, um, not, not so much temporary workers, like hasn't changed, you know, frankly, since the early 2000s. Uh, it's like post a job and hope something happens. Um, 
Well, let me just for a moment, because I I do have friends that have staffing companies in healthcare, whether it's nursing, where it's the travel nurses, or it could be anesthesiologists. Like you can't operate a, you know, different, you can't operate a hospital unless you have people on staff to do what the hospital needs to do. So is it the necessary evil of going down the path of the contractor? I'm sure their preference would be a full-time nurse in lieu of a travel nurse. So as you saw this challenge, how did you figure out how can we fix this process that they're working with through technology? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. So, um, the, the, the problems here are like very real, right. For the hospitals and for the nurses on the hospital side, um, these, as you said, these executives need to make sure that their, their, their teams are staffed, right. In order to deliver care, care is their product. Right. Um, and when you're understaffed, I mean, you're spending on temporary workers, the issue with temporary workers uh, is that they are expensive. You know, they're three to four times more expensive than your permanent workers. And then also there's a lot of research that shows that the more temporary workers you have, the lesser, the lower your quality of care, right? More, um, because they don't know, necessarily know the nuances of your team. And uh, understaffing or the overusage of temporary workers leads to more medication errors, more patient mortality, more, just, just more, more safety and quality problems, frankly, right? And... Uh, and then not to mention the financial impact, right? Like hospitals are low margin businesses, you know, margins are 3% or less. And when you're incurring all these additional labor costs, like that's eating into your margins and, uh, and eating into your bottom line, which is a problem for the entire C-suite, right? Whether you're CEO, COO, chief nursing, chief HR, you know, like you're, you care about this problem. Um, on the nurse side, this whole experience that we often hear, hey, I applied to 10 places I didn't even hear back, you know, or um, I applied or, um, you know, th- this is like a pretty terrible job search experience the normal way, honestly. Like, and a lot of that's happening because you have a very small in-house hiring team and they're, they're being asked to do a lot of things manually without the support of technology, without the best processes in place, right? So, Let's take the examples of job boards, you know, like Indeed, LinkedIn, the hospital's own job board. Anyone can apply, right? (laughs) So you get all these applicants, which is great for quantity, but it's not great for quality, right? Right. And and that small in-house hiring team has to sort through all of that manually. They got to screen manually. They got to match manually. They got to schedule interviews manually. Like it's just, uh, we are um, not necessarily setting up those teams for success, and uh, so there just has to be a better way. We just figured after all this, like we just, there just has to be a better way. So there's like three or, three or four unique things that we came up with to like sort of address these challenges. And it is part of what makes Incredible Health unique. So first, the employers apply to the talent instead of the other way around. As you can imagine, the nurses love that, right? Like, you know, imagine you create a profile, you sit back and relax and you're going to hear from different employers and you as a nurse gets to choose which interviews to accept and which ones to decline. So this is a very nurse-centric or candidate-centric model, which is frankly what the market calls for. Like, they're the ones in demand at the end of the day. Exactly. The second thing we did is we automated the screening of the talent um, using software, using algorithms, through integrations with other databases and things like that. So what we're doing in, in, our, in our screening process is like we've, we're checking things like licenses, malpractice records, um, and um, certification, so on, right? And it's we do have to um, screen at scale. And that's, that's like sort of the magic of technologies that you can do things at scale. And um, we're able to deliver on 
hundreds, thousands, you know, at this point, tens of thousands of talent to the employers every single week. Um, the third piece is the matching, right? Uh, we, we create matching algorithms, customized matching algorithms for every single employer that we work with. And so that results in a much more curated or personalized experience. So let's say you are a nurse recruiter at wherever, Cedar sinai NYU, wherever, right? And you log in, like you don't want to see 200 nurses. Like you want to see like 14 or 15 or that are the right fit for you at the time for the roles that you're looking for. And um, at the same time, same experience for the nurse. Like, let's say you are a highly sought after OR nurse or ICU nurse. Like, you don't want to hear from 160 employers, right? Like, you want to hear from four or five that are the right fit for what you're looking for. And so, like, having the experience be more personalized and customized is important. And, and frankly, that is where we are, we're at with technology today. I mean, it is not, you know, the, the technology from the early 2000s, which is the job, Indeed, LinkedIn, et cetera, they rely on the user to do all the search and discovery. We're now at the point where the software itself can do the search and discovery on behalf of the users, and that can drive a much more powerful experience. And then, yeah, and then, and then on top of that, we've also layered in a lot of tools and services that are free for the nurses. You know, it's not enough to just provide nurses and eventually other healthcare workers with just like a hiring marketplace. We offer free continuing education for every single nurse in the country, which they need to renew and activate their licenses. We have advice platforms for nurses where, where they, there's a community of nurses inside our iOS and Android apps where they can ask each other um, highly specific questions and get very strong answers um, from nurses like them. We have free salary estimators. Every nurse gets a career coach you know, when they sign up. You know, Just things like we have to offer all of these free services and tools because it's important that Incredible Health is not just the place to find your job. It needs to be the place where you manage your career. Um, which, which I, I did pick up on that, which I thought was really uh, unique with these added, you know, services for nurses. Cause I was wondering, I'm like, how did you get the marketplace going? Cause there's the chicken and the egg, right? There's the supply and the demand side. The demand side is the easy part because hospitals need nurses. If you've got a way to help them solve that problem, they're probably going to give you a shot, but the supply side is where it's difficult. And how do you get traction and build a brand with nurses that this is a place that you can have hospitals and health systems reach out direct to you and you're getting these other value-add services to help you manage your career. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like it's not, it's not enough to just, you have to provide these value-add services in, in, in our opinion. Um, and our, the vision of our company is to help healthcare professionals live better lives. And the mission is to help them find and do their best work. And so we, we prioritize these value-added services that are free for, for nurses because uh, a is one it attracts more and more nurses to the platform, which is wonderful. You know, like tens of thousands of nurses join just for these free services, um, and then a portion of them use the hiring marketplace as well, which is another free service. Um, and then it's just important that we have a um, career-long or lifelong relationship with nurses um, using our products. And this is not a one-and-done transactional relationship. This is this is the place where you manage your career. Is that the what helps you build up that supply side of, yep, of getting nurses and build up your, so was, <laughs> is it word of mouth or was there a lot of, you know, initial money spent on acquisition? Yeah. So we have a whole range of, of a pretty robust, like acquisition strategy that includes um, these free products, uh, SEO, paid marketing, et cetera. Right. And, um, and, and, and yes, there's word of mouth. And it's also a referral program where nurses can invite each other. And so um, having like a sort of a multifaceted strategy for talent acquisition 
as well as talent engagement is critical for driving the supply side of the marketplace. Now, a similar set of strategies for the employer side. I mean, they're not, <laughs> they're also not uh, the easiest group to engage and to, and to retain as well. I mean, we've had to build a lot of software for the employers as well. Um, everything from automating interview scheduling, enabling in-app chat between the employers and the talent, um, a very robust set of data analytics so they can uh, see how they're doing and benchmark themselves against their peers uh, in their market and throughout the country, um, just to help them continue improving their internal hiring operations. Um, you know, we've, we've had to provide a lot of software support and, you know, analytic support and customer success support to the employers as well. And how did you set up the, um, the business model? Because a staffing firm, if they're a permanent staffing firm, they're going to charge, you know, a percentage based on salary per person, but this is software. So how did you, you know, build out the revenue model? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of experimentation in our early days with business model because it wasn't totally clear what the model should be. Should they be paying per hire? Should they be, pay a monthly subscription? Should they do a consumption-based model? Um, I think that um, software in general, enterprise software in general is moving more and more towards a consumption-based model. So pay for what you use. And um, I think companies like Snowflake and Twilio like really pioneered this because um, you know, you're not, it's not a monthly subscription with them. It's like you're paying for what you use. And um, that is the model that we ended up adopting or ending up with. I can't go into too much detail. So a lot of it's confidential, but um, essentially we, we pursued a consumption-based enterprise model. And um, you know, the leaders love that. They, it makes the budgets clear. They're only paying for what they use. You know, just it's, it's, it, it creates an enormous amount of alignment between us and, and, and the employers. How do you view the future? Is it, you know, working horizontal across lots of different job categories within the healthcare industry? Because nursing is kind of like you're building the, the foundation there, but obviously this can apply to lots of places within healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, today, you know, we're very focused on just nurses, permanent nurses in particular. So, you know, permanent includes full-time, part-time per diem, but at the end of the day, the nurses are the um, employees of the hospital and, uh, and very focused on hospitals, right? Acute care specifically. And our, um, but, you know, as you know, our goal is to be defining, we're defining a new category and becoming market leaders in healthcare labor. So yes, over time, um, you know, currently we're very focused on our geographic expansion. So we've expanded from our home state of California to, to now we operate in 25 states. And over the coming months, want to expand to more and more states while still focused on nurses and, and hospitals. After that, then we would start adding more roles beyond nursing. And to your point, yeah, doctors, physical therapists, pharmacists, et cetera, like they, all, they can all benefit from a product like this. There's shortages in all those areas. And then, um, and then adding uh, over time, adding more types of employers in healthcare beyond hospitals, you know, there's surgical centers and urgent care and skilled nursing and so on. And so like, eventually you want to take it all, but like, I'm a big fan of like, we have to grow systematically and be very focused because you have to maintain user delight while you're growing too. Um, and, you know, I, I have, I have fantastic board members like uh, James Joaquin at Obvious Ventures and Jeff Jordan at Andreessen Horowitz and, you know, a, a very like an advice and a tip to any, to any entrepreneur, regardless of the model you're building. Um, but especially to marketplace entrepreneurs, it's like startups usually don't die of starvation. They die of indigestion, right? Like don't take on too much. 
right? It's, it's hard. It's so hard to do one or two things really, really well. And it's better to do one or two things really, really well than to do 15 things mediocre. Um, and it takes an enormous amount of effort to just do one or two things really well. And so um, focus is, 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 is critical. Um, That's so critical. I mean, it goes back to what we were originally talking about of that, you know, the pitch deck and the vision, right? Because I mean, this is a massive vision of what you're doing with nurses alone, never mind what you can do across horizontally in healthcare. But to your point, you need to delight users while you're scaling. And I love that little piece of advice because that's so important because you can just get distracted so easily. And I'm sure you get requests from hospitals like, oh, you're so good at this. Can you do this? Can you do this? And you just go like, stay in your lane. Yeah, we have to say no a lot, which is which yeah. is like, you know, it, it's painful, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's just really important. <laughs> you got to say no sometimes. And um, there's just so much opportunity, but you must deliver user delight. You know, we, we have a, a set of values here at Incredible Health and the values are really the operating system of the company. They're how we work together. They're how we make decisions. They're certainly part of hiring that, you know, people are assessed on these values. They're part of employee onboarding and they're part of performance reviews too. And the number one value is customer obsession. I mean, do whatever you can to delight users and everybody's accountable to that value, like regardless of what role you're in, even if you're not in a user facing role, like you could be in finance, you could be in engineering, like you still have to be user obsessed. So um, that's probably, yeah, hands down, like our most important value. So what advice would you have for entrepreneurs that are starting to build a company? They have an idea in the healthcare industry. And as you highlighted, they're challenging. They're big health systems that it's hard to get in the door to hopefully sell whatever you're doing to the right person. Or maybe the particular problem that you're solving is ahead of the market and healthcare is slow to adopt and change. So what advice would you have for uh, healthcare entrepreneurs? Yeah. So yeah, there's a specific set of challenges we have to deal with as healthcare entrepreneurs. Um, and, 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 you know, these are like advice and tips and it's sort of, it's counter to what the general advice entrepreneurs get, right? So, you know, uh, in, in non-healthcare, you know, you really focus in on the product and the user experience and the design and so on. And yes, that does matter in healthcare, but really the mo- number one most important thing when you're building a business in healthcare is like, what is, what is your business model, right? And who pays? And the, re- the reason it's so important in the US healthcare in particular is because it's so convoluted who pays? Um, it's not like a simple market, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, you create a good or create a service or a product and that person buys and that's it, you know? Um, un- unfortunately, you know, patients consume the service, you know, there's patients, they consume the service, but they're not necessarily paying for it. The employers are paying for it, but sort of the payers are paying for it. But then the providers are trying to manage costs and they're providing the service. Like, it's just like extremely convoluted, right? So what you... Um, create must have very clear it must be very clear who's paying for it and why um and why they're paying for it that is hands down the most important thing it is 10 times more important than what your what your product even does um that's like my number one tip for, for healthcare entrepreneurs um another one is just to, to focus in on the right problems you know um there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of healthcare entrepreneurs that are working on patient facing products, which is great, you know, like, sure, we need more innovation there. But, you know, there's an entire infrastructure or stack in healthcare that has enormous problems. And that is where the majority of costs 
of costs like you know the costs that are driving U.S. healthcare uh, costs way up every single year. I mean, it's not so much in the patient-facing issues; it's in the back. And it's like what's happening behind the scenes. You know, we're, we're we're one of those companies. We're tackling hiring. You know, but there's also how do we tackle the um, you know the, the the flow of money or the revenue for 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 providers? How do we um, how do we just there's a whole set of administrative things that are happening behind the scenes, like sort of like the quote unquote back office, right? That needs um, innovation and that needs support. And that is where the majority of healthcare costs lie. So yeah, it's not, it's not sexy, right? It's not that, it's not like a super fancy, like a, you know, like a patient facing mental health product or diabetes product or whatever. Right. But like, I mean, that's the, there's a lot of, lot of self help and support is needed back there. And it's a, it's a, a lot of these operational uh, challenges are really hard to solve. So if you are solving it and you do it well, you can scale a company. So I had the founder of uh, Cedar on the podcast and they're solving medical billing. And it's the only industry that you go in and you have stuff done, but you don't know what it's costing you. And insurance is going to cover some of it, but you still, you leave with this medical bill and you're like, what is this? And what's covered by my insurance? And so like that, that alone, I'm sure could spawn hundreds of companies to help address that issue. But yes, yeah. it's such a, so many different opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. But we need the founders to pay attention, to pay attention to those opportunities. Yes. So, big yeah. time. The infrastructure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now uh, over the pandemic uh, companies realize, wait, we can be successful with remote and building a vibrant remote culture. So um, what, advice, what advice would you have there? Because that, that is definitely, you know, kind of a, a mainstay of what companies are seeing now is how do we, you know, have, remote employees feel like they're part of our organization and part of our culture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we made the decision in January, 2021 to be remote first or remote only. Um, so we've been operating in this, in this, uh, way for a couple of years now, and, uh, it requires, uh, sort of the, our lessons learned and what, what tips I have is like, it does require a pretty concerted effort it's not, it's like an active effort <laughs> to manage a remote team and, and to make sure a remote culture is successful. Um, the first set of uh, tactics is like how we get work done. We've had to really uh, increase documentation. You know, frankly, it's probably stuff we probably should have been done even in an in-person setting, <laughs> but, you know, remote really forces it. But documenting um, our processes, documenting, having agendas and documentation for meetings ahead of time, um, being very clear, documenting next steps, et cetera, like just uh, having places, uh, having an internal like wiki for where, you know, team members can go to understand what's happening. It, it is uh, really, we've had to really up our game with documentation. Um, the second area is uh, communication. Um, I've had to increase the frequency of all hands, for example. Um, different leaders have had to increase the frequency of staff meetings. Um, we've had to, uh, written, you know, written communication has been critical as well. So really um, upping our game there has been, has been important because communication is one of the things that gets, gets stressed or gets, can disintegrate in a remote uh, only setting. And so we have to very, very proactively improve, continue improving communication. Um, the third area is just like having fun, frankly, right? So like in an in-person setting, it was like, he's like, okay, we all like, whatever, we all after work, all go to happy hour or go to dinner or whatever, which is re really important for just like bonding and, 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 and building relationships and so on. So I have to really implement a lot of things that enables uh, the team to have fun, even, even in a remote only setting. 
so one set of things we did is, uh, you know, having a weekly virtual coffee where you're not allowed to talk about work. Um, also, there's like a company-wide virtual event every six weeks, you know, like we play Jeopardy, play Wheel of Fortune, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I've really had to like invest more behind that as well. Um, each team has a budget for um, their, their um, remote events too. Um, you know, maybe they're having dinner together, maybe they're having lunch together, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and then, and then we've had to invest in in-person events, right? So we do um, uh, consistent offsites that are in-person. So maybe senior leadership team has met in the San Francisco Bay Area. Our talent growth teams have met in Marin County. Our sales and customer success teams have met in Nashville, Tennessee. And so just ensuring that we like pepper in in-person offsites has been uh, important uh, as well. All right. What are three apps you can't live without? Uh, work-related apps. It would be. Um, it doesn't have to be work-related. It could be. Anything. So I'll do the work-related, and then I'll do the personal. So work-work-related work-related uh, three apps I can't live without is, you know, Gmail, Slack. Those are probably my top ones that are work-related. Gmail, Slack, and then. Um, access to incredible health analytics, which is usually we use in a, through a browser. Um, and then um, personal, Google Maps, <laughs> uh, Spotify, and like some combination of whatever, Netflix, Amazon Prime, like entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, any podcast or book recommendations? Um, yeah, lots. Okay. So uh, for podcasts, um, uh, how, how I, I find how I built this pretty inspiring. Um, Andreessen Horowitz also has a very strong podcast for entrepreneurs. Um, and then um, another, uh, sorry, other podcasts. Let me think on this. Those are probably my, um, Patrick O'Shaughnessy's Invest Like the Best has really helped me understand how investors think. And, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier around the ideation exercise, it really is pretty aligned with how investors think too. And I think founders and entrepreneurs, uh, yes, our job is to operate our businesses, come up with unique insights, but we also, we, we, we benefit from understanding how investors think too, right? About markets, about unique insights, about competition, and it's our responsibility to understand all of that as well. And it, it makes us better, better CEOs and better founders. Um, books. Um, probably one of my favorites is Ben Horowitz. Uh, hard things. Uh, hard things. Uh, that's oh, like <laughs> just so good. The, the emotional journey of building uh, a company is, is, is very intense and like, I, I sometimes I hesitate showing up on podcasts like this and be like, this is what we figured out and here are the lessons and here's the advice. But like what's behind all of that is just like unrelenting grit and resilience and problem solving and, you know, just running into walls and <laughs> just like I, I describe the journey of innovation or entrepreneurship as like a maze, you know, like you're, you're in this idea maze and, you are running into walls and dead ends all the time. And your job is to continue to figure out how to get, get through this maze. And that requires an enormous amount of uh, relentlessness, resilience, um, 
and and you really have to champion that and even even if your team is like giving up hope it's like you know you're the cheerleader right like you have to like keep keep everybody going um and really managing your mental health is is, is like critical as well so um probably that's my favorite in terms of entrepreneurship books yeah phenomenal book hard thing about hard things outside of work what do you like to do for fun um so uh spend time with my husband, which is great. You know, it's important to maintain your, your marriage and your personal relationships when you're building stuff like this. Um, and then, uh, just, yeah, meeting up with friends, you know, lunch, dinner, et cetera. Um, also, uh, I do have like favorite TV shows <laughs> as well. Um, so I like to, I'm a big fan of star Wars, for example. I like the new Obi-Wan show. Um, I so I heard it's phenomenal. I haven't watched the first two episodes yet, but I heard it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Love the Mandalorian as well. So, um, and, my, and I'm also just like uh, big into interior design too. So like that's my, uses a different part of my brain. Um, and I just do it personally, like for myself, I'm not doing it for other people or anything like that, but uh, it's just nice to have a different like hobby or a different interest. Yeah. Well, Iman, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and all the great things that you're, you and your team are up to at Incredible Health and, of course, all the, the great advice along the way. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.